Hi, this is Frisky Dog, the barbecue wizard, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Bye-bye. Start the cake. Let's go. We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Good evening and welcome to the really big barbecue central show. This is the show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling. Originating from the rock and roll hall of fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North coast and bomb city, USA. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your cheese on your Tuesday evening's live fire fun and frivolity show. If you find your way clear to get in touch with the show tonight and you don't know how to do it, here's the contact info. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. Follow us on all the social media channels at BBQ Central Show. And be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you didn't get the newsletter, which you can sign up for over at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. Coming up in about 12 minutes from now, a couple months ago, we introduced you to him here on this show, although he's been around live fire probably for as long as he can remember. He knows all about sous vide cooking. He knows all about making sous vide machines. And when we had him on the last time, he was all about telling us this really cool predictive thermometer that he was building from Combustion Inc. And we welcome back Chris Young to the show. So we'll get a little catch up on where the thermometering is specifically with his item. And then... We're going to be talking about two different experiments that he has conducted recently. If you already subscribe to his YouTube channel, perhaps you've already seen this, but we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive than you might see anywhere else. What do we love to talk about and give our opinions on when it comes to cooking steak? Oh, sous vide is the best way to do it. It's tasty. It's juicy. It's tender. That's one side of the fence, and then the other side of the fence you have, oh, no, 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 reverse here, the only way to go, more flavor, and who needs sous vide? This is a real man's way to cook it, and in the end, what are you doing? You're finding some source of really high heat, whether it be sous vide or reverse here, and finishing it off over as hot a heat as you can possibly get to really give it that good Maillard reaction. Maybe you're into the grill great marks. I don't really particularly care about that specifically, but maybe you're somebody that does. We're all finishing it the same way, but what is the best way to do it? What does it look like scientifically when it's been repeated time and time again? Well, Chris Young will help us cipher all of that information and perhaps get us to a correct answer. And then I remember when I got in to this whole barbecue and grilling game many, many years ago, when it came to cooking steak, I always heard, got to be high heat, can only flip it once. I subscribe to that because what do I do? I listen because I'm a dope and everybody's smarter than me. So I listen to what the experts have to say. So I was always high heat, flip it once, that's it. And away you go. Well, what do we learn over time? Well, Adam Perry Lang once told me, you know, you should be flipping and scruffing the meat and who cares about the aesthetics of it. And then, of course, our friend, quarterly guest of the show, Jess Priles from Hardcore Carnivore, has been a longtime supporter of what she calls the JKF, or Just Keep Flipping Method. And of the two, flip once or just keep flipping, which one is yielding a better product? 
And more important than any of that, there's going to be one piece of knowledge that you are going to gain tonight. Whether you fall asleep through the other stuff or not, one piece is going to wake you up and blow your mind, change your live fire life. And I'm staking my reputation on that this evening. And you'll hear all about it here very, very shortly. And I'm leaving the tease there. After Chris Young, we will be joined by monthly guests, the bristly barbecue journalist and barbecue central show guest hall of famer, Derek riches. We were off last month. That's right. I was out of town and the whole fourth Tuesday did not happen. So we'll rejoin Derek, see what's been happening now going on eight weeks in the live fire industry. Talk about some of the hot topics, especially business. Business has been on everybody's hot list recently. So that's how we'll close the first hour. Then the second hour, of course, the embedded correspondence and I refire the embedded correspondence segment. We have 100% assurity picks. And we have a number of other topics that we will be giving you our opinion on. So that's how the show lays out here this evening. Don't forget, you can follow me socially, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, at BBQ Central Show. Live video feeds over on Facebook and Twitch, slash BBQ Central Show. Also a video feed on YouTube, slash RD Rempe. And we are going audibly on Clubhouse as well. So if you want to take place or take part in the 100% Assurity Picks in the second hour, you'll have to do it through Clubhouse. And it is working tonight, triple checked. So let's start here this evening. Many of you weighing in on the Rod Gray interview from last week. A lot of you wondering if this means there will be a marked return to the show covering competition barbecue now that Rod is the new CEO. Also, many of you asking if I took the challenge and became a lifetime member of the Kansas City Barbecue Society as Rod had requested during our interview. So let me go ahead and take those questions in turn and give you some answers. Number one, as it relates to the show covering more competitions, the simple answer is no. One person does not make me or the show cover something or not cover something. The show will cover more barbecue contests when the contests themselves prove to be what the audience actually wants to hear more of, which it hasn't. In fact, while competition barbecue hasn't gone away, it remains in what I would consider to be a fairly fragile spot at the moment. Rod's figures tell us how few events there were last year, which I think was numbering in that 150 or so category, to now this year in 2022, approaching towards 400. Well, yeah, there's going to be more competition barbecue events this year because there was a pandemic going on that doesn't have the same stranglehold on the country as it did for the last two years. So the better number will be 2023, 2024. How much will you grow past the number you end up getting this year in 2022? So the simple answer is, as I stated, no. No one should expect to see a marked increase in competition coverage on the show at this point. Could it happen? Sure. But it would be dictated by what the audience is looking for as it relates to comment. Number two, in regards to me taking the challenge of becoming a KCBS Lifetime member, in a word, no. History has shown that I have a long-standing disinterest in becoming a member of any sanctioning body. As it relates to sanctioning bodies, I want the freedom to talk as I wish without anyone questioning if I am being a shill or not. Remaining unaffiliated with all of the sanctioning bodies to me is the best thing to do, and it's always offering a people a platform to come on, talk about whatever it is they want to talk about with no concerns from them about having show ties with anybody back to any sanctioning body. Now, could there be a scenario that could be tossed into question? Sure. For instance, KCBS decides to do the right thing from a marketing standpoint, become an advertiser on the show. Then, of course, I run the risk of being looked like a kept woman. And that would be the decision I have to weigh out should it arise with KCBS or any sanctioning body for that matter. Would I hope that my history of doing this show, my brutal honesty with the audience and my guests would at least have bought me some goodwill? Sure. 
but not everyone would feel that way. But no, no one is going to tell me I should become a member of this group or that group, especially when it makes no sense for me to do it as it relates to the show. So what did we find out this evening in regards to the interviews from last week? No to more competition barbecue just because Rod is now the CEO and no to a lifetime membership of KCBS. I'm excited about where we're looking this evening. I can tell you that Chris Young is in the green room and he's ready to go before we get to him. Big Papa Smokers is the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue, a curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies. Gets you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Everything at Big Papa Smokers has been Pitmaster approved by Sterling Big Papa Ball himself from the award-winning rubs and sauces to the American-made grills and smokers. Big Papa Smokers has everything you need to be a better outdoor cook. Big Papa's, known for the championship rubs and seasonings, popular flavors like Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow, Double Secret Steak Rub, Little Louie's Seasoned Salt, Desert Gold, the list goes on. Big Papa's offering 13 perfectly balanced flavors to transform ordinary meals into extraordinary, whether you're cooking to impress the judges or just grilling for a family. Big Papa Smokers, award-winning rubs and seasonings don't disappoint. They also own Granny's Barbecue Sauce, So if you're tired of what's existing on the market right now and you're looking for new go-to sauce that will please everybody, give Granny's a try. Great all on its own. Great as a base sauce that you can tweak from there. Whatever you feel most comfortable doing. Aside from the premium selection of rubs and sauces, they are selling some of the best pellet, charcoal, and wood cookers available today. If you're looking for a versatile smoker easy to use, check out that Mac 2-Star General Pellet Cooker. Big Papa's the exclusive Mac dealer, even offering special packages. If you're not a fan of pellet smokers or you don't know what kind of smoker you should be looking at, call and ask questions. They're here to help. 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop their website uh, website, website at BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A Smokers.com. We are back with Chris Young from Combustion Inc. Right after this, stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number two most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase. You can also see all the other products that they have for sale to add a little smokiness to your outdoor cooking. That's cookingpellets.com. My first guest tonight made his debut on the show a handful of months ago, and since then, his predictive thermometer has been taking the thermometering world. I don't even know if that's a word. Thermometering world by storm. We love to cook steak. There are many methods to cook steak. And tonight we dive into a side-by-side comparison between sous vide and the reverse sear. Also, flipping once or flipping multiple times. Let's not race any more time or waste as we race to the hotline. And welcome back, friend of the show, Chris Young. Hey, Chris. Hey, Greg. How are you tonight? I am absolutely fabulous. Chris, appreciate you making time for the show again so before we get into the tests and the experiments of sous vide on this side of the camp and uh, reverse sear on this side of the camp and then the flipping once, flipping multiple times, can we do a little bit of a uh, background on combustion ink, the thermometer, and of course how things are going these days because we're always getting new listeners, so I would hate to just assume everybody knows, yeah. especially since we're live right now. 
So, um, you know, the unfortunate news is we were very much hoping to ship in time for barbecue season uh, in June. Uh, it's not going to come as a surprise to anyone that supply chains are still a mess. We are still working through. And uh, what we also told our community is we were pushing the limits of performance. We wanted this thing to be able to go to 300 Celsius, you know, 575 Fahrenheit, and then go straight into an ice bath if it had to. I've got a video of cryo searing a steak going from a deep fryer and into liquid nitrogen. And that's not surprising. It challenged our waterproof seals. We had to do some seal redesign, um, and we are nearly done with that. So, um, you know, this is actually the kitchen timer that works with our thermometer. This one is brand new uh, production sample. So I will actually peel off the film to show that that's mm. not me being full of crap. Uh, you turn this on. Uh, I don't know if my camera can see it because light, there we go. Okay, so the other important bit is the thermometer. This is its charging sleeve. This is also mm. off production tooling. This is my personal sample thermometer. You turn it on by taking it out. The first time you get a new timer, you hold this next to it uh, for a few seconds. And where's my... That's it. There there you go. So you can see, and I'm holding the tip of the thermometer now. And it responds about as fast as a classic thermal pin. That was one of our goals, to have it be a really good instant read as well. Um, But obviously what's quite unique about this is we have eight temperature sensors running from the tip all the way up through here, and then an eighth to measure the ambient temperature just beyond the surface of the food. And so we measure the temperature at the center, at the surface, and we're able to use all of that information to make really accurate predictions about the cooking time remaining, um, and also to bring a precision. If you're cooking in an oven or a barbecue smoker, you can use the surface temperature sensor to actually control the true cooking temperature at the surface of your food. Uh, You've got evaporation, you've got humidity in your smoker and in your oven, and that cools the surface off. But if you control the surface temperature to the actual temperature you want, you can unlock sous vide-like results in your barbecue. And that's what actually drove me to make this product in the first place. I really wanted a thermometer that did everything that, uh, you know, I thought it should do. So we're behind on this, but we expect to start uh, manufacturing in September. We're building our manufacturing line, testing all our tools right now. Um, and we expect to start fulfilling our pre-orders in September. Mm. It'll probably take us through October to get caught up with everyone. So, um, was but, there, you know, Chris, was the there a first news. round of sales that went through? Like people have the product already and this is a second round then? No, nobody has oh. a product. So we opened up pre-orders on February 1st um, and uh, that went way better than I think we expected. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, in fact, uh, you know, the original goal for those pre-orders was to get them in time for barbecue season. Mm. That has stretched out, but we will be shipping in September. Um, and based on the fact that we haven't really had more than a handful of cancellations, people seem to really want it. So we're excited and I'm excited to get out because there's a bunch of features that I'd like to get to for next barbecue season, like predicting the stall. That's something I think we're going to be able to do. It's a bunch of work, but we got to ship this first, get the basic thermometer working, uh, you know, have it work better than anything else out there. And then we can work on some of the cool things we think are going to be possible in the future with math. Chris, I am so guessing. That's the update from combustion. I don't think your microphone is on. I think I'm catching your AirPods or the one on the computer. It, uh, I'm, not uh, I am trying to watch it. It keeps switching back. So are you getting it now? <laughs> no, you'll have to, uh, uh, X out and come back in, I would imagine. Okay, I'm not sure it's going to fix it, Greg, because it creeps. Um, if I have my in-ear monitor, it keeps switching switching back after a few seconds. Mm. Um, but I'll try. All right, let's give, give it a go. A second. See what happens. No problem. Chris is going to jump out and jump back in here. Hey, there he is, taco celebrity of Cleveland and the world, Mark Puente is... Stopping in real quick. Mark, I feel like a complete crap because you were down on 29th Street, right over by Larder, one of my favorite restaurants, doing tacos for a couple weeks in a row. I was out of town one week, and then I didn't even realize you were going to be there that first week. Otherwise, I just would have hung around because I was there for lunch. But I'm going to get some street tacos from you, Mark. So you keep doing it. I will follow you around at some point. And We'll do Chori Pollo tacos. 
All right. There he is. He's back. Hey, Chris. Uh, is that any? Yes, 100% nope, back. Nope. It keeps snagging it back. No. No. Nope. It's not. It. You sure? Yes. 100%. Okay. Yep. Sounds that, good. If. If that's grabbing it, then we're good. Yep. Sorry about that. All right. No problem. So uh, good look into where you guys are as a business. Yep. Uh, you know, one of the hot topics I'm going to be talking with Derek about here in a few moments, uh, we'll get to the stake here in just a second, is I guess what seems to be a surprise to a lot of folks, especially those in business, that some of the bigger names have really hit the bust after the boom for the last two years. A, are you surprised? I mean, you're a good business guy. And then have you been affected at all where you've also had to do layoffs or um, weights or anything like that as far as scaling your business? Yeah. So, um, no, I don't, I don't think I'm surprised. You know, just uh, for your listeners who don't know, I previously founded Chef Steps, uh, which was the creator of Jules Sous Vide. Um, and so, you know, I was involved in scaling that up to hundreds of thousands of units a year, and I sold that company to the Breville Corporation. So I have a bit of a hand still in the kitchen appliance market. This isn't my first rodeo. And talking to a lot of my former colleagues, talking to folks at, at various companies, you know, as the pandemic set in, everybody saw sales really start to boom, especially for cooking appliances. We're all at home a lot more. We're all cooking at home a lot more. It's an excuse to, hey, get that new grill, get that new appliance. You know, and the big debate was, are we, is this permanent? Is this growth going to stick? Are we, or are we just pulling sales forward and it's going to tail off? Um, you know, there seemed to be a split. I knew CEOs. I tended to be one of them who said, this is actually a temporary boom. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, let's not assume this is going to last forever and scale up for it. And you had other people saying, no, we can, we can capture market share. And once we do that, we can sustain this growth. And you know, I think you're sort of seeing how that's shaking out in, in 20, late 2022 now. Uh, for combustion, you know, that didn't really affect us. We were, we were, we were just getting started. We're not operating at scale. What, what did affect us was, uh, you know, getting microchips, um, uh, getting the precision sensors we need, um, you know, getting things around uh, globally is just unbelievably difficult. And we're a small, we're a small player. So we don't jump to the front of the queue. We have to wait, you know, when, when the various governments, uh, you know, leaned on the chip suppliers to put the automakers first in line, we went to the back in line, even though our orders were ahead of them. So, you know, for combustion, we're weathering it, um, you know, we're, we're prepared. And, you know, I think for us, it's ship the product, make sure it's the product we say it was, get those reviews. And then we're really focused on on growing in a sustainable path for the next barbecue season. Um, you know, we're not playing a game of, of grow as fast as possible. Chris Young joining us here on the show. Combustion.inc is the website if you'd like to check it out or make an order as well for that really cool thermometer that we've been talking about. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the steak experiment. As I had mentioned Right now, especially, you have two sides of a fence. You have a sous vide portion. You have a reverse sear portion. Some like to play on both sides of the fence. Why not? Uh, I love controversy and hypocrisy like nobody else. What's the motivation for you to compare these two against each other specifically? Um, you know, there, there, there's a few things. First off, you know, I certainly hear the debates over and over and over. Um, uh, even among um, professional chefs, and I've been doing sous vide. I think I first started cooking sous vide in two thousand one. I've I've been around the camp a long time, and you know the criticism of sous vide is you don't get the flavor development, you don't get the crust. Um, you know the argument, for, and it has some downsides. You have to heat a bunch of water. You need a special device. You have to package the food in plastic, and um, you know so there there was a question in my mind of if you cooked a steak in a low temperature oven, and if you actually took the time to control the temperature at the surface of the food, if you were to hold the surface at more or less the same temperature of sous vide cooking, and then you seared both side by side, would there really be any difference? And I could think of a physical and chemical-based argument for why reverse sear would have an edge on the mired reaction, on the, uh, the, the development of the crust, and why sous vide would have an edge on tenderness and juiciness. Um, so, you know, being somewhat scientifically minded and, and trained that way, the, you know, the correct way to do a test isn't a side by side. It isn't, uh, you know, there's too many biases. You do what's called a triangle test where you have somebody else cut 
two slices that are of one and one that's different. And your job is to taste these and figure out which one's the odd man out. And, you know, in the video I show my show me doing that once, but in reality, I did it 10 times. And, you know, I was, you know, looking at them after the sear, I thought the crust looked a little bit better on the reverse sear, but it was, it was pretty modest. Um, I was surprised at how comparable they were. Sous vide lost a little less juice, I think a few percentage point, as I weighed and mentioned in the video. But when you actually tasted it blind, I couldn't reliably pick out a difference. I would have been mm -hmm. more accurate flipping a coin. Um, and so this is something I really wanted to put to bed because I was fairly tired of hearing people have, you know, arguments on the internet that were based on religious beliefs and what they wanted to be true versus versus what actually is true. It's like there's a there is a definitive an answer, you know, there's a definitive answer that can be had for this question. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you like the answer, uh, you know, that's up to your personal beliefs. But you know. If somebody comes to me and says, you know, sous vide's better than reverse here, you can't get it as tender. That's not true. Is sous vide more convenient for controlling the temperature? Yes. Um, you know, does reverse sear inherently sear better? No. Um, uh, you know, especially if you do a good job of, uh, of searing. And so, you know, that was really the motivation of that video was to say, look, I've never actually done this experiment side by side in a really controlled fashion. And I don't know anybody else who has either. Um, and so, you know, I felt like it was worth doing. From the taste aspect, as you had mentioned, you couldn't mm -hmm. discern a difference between reverse sear or doing it sous vide. For the folks that say they can, can I make an inference that they might be live fire lovers like me, like you, and maybe they're reverse searing not in an oven. They're doing it in a charcoal of a charcoal grill, or they're doing it in a pellet cooker. I do that quite a bit. So there's yeah. a perfuming of smoke. So that's that's what they're tasting. That's certainly different. Yeah. So you know, I think there's I think there's two ways to answer this. Um, first, you know, if you smoke the meat, um, or or it's at, you know thirty seconds on the barbecue, and I did do the experiment over my Weber kettle grill with hardwood lump charcoal. That wasn't you know, and I seared both that way, so they both got the same surface treatment. If on the other hand, I had one of the steaks, you know, cooking low and slow in a pellet smoker, you know, for, for hours and hours, that's going to be a different thing. And, and I fully believe you'd pick up on that difference. But, but here's what I think is really going on most of the time when people say they can pick up a difference. Um, have you ever been on vacation where, you know, maybe you've had a bottle of wine or, you know, you've, you've had, had a drink and you're, uh, uh, you're like, this is fantastic. And then you go home back to your real life and you have that same bottle of wine and you're like, I wouldn't serve this to my worst enemy. Yeah. Context matters. If I've got my family around, I've got friends over, it's a nice afternoon, I'm drinking beers, we're grilling on the grill, I'm going to enjoy that steak more. There's a ton of sensory science out there, by the way, that shows this is a real and measurable effect. We, you know, the, the, the art of cooking, the, 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 the creativity and time we put into cooking the perfect steak that's actually rewarding and we believe it mm. tastes better. And so there's a lot of people, including some, some good chef friends of mine who go, you know, sous vide, the problem with sous vide is it has no soul. They don't enjoy cooking sous vide. That's fine. You know, but if you do it blind and say, can you objectively pick up a taste? No, you can't. A, a difference in taste. All right. So we have that now deciphered. Then you also took to task flipping once which as i had mentioned in the open was the way i was originally brought into the whole grilling world was yep. high heat flip once to uh then compare it to just keep flipping or flipping often or however you want to term it and seeing which yep. one makes a better steak and to me what i thought flipping more times than just doing it once brings to the table is a more bumper to bumper color consistency than just flipping once. So uh, how did you test it and what were your findings? Yeah, so uh, the way I, I'll do the test first, then I'll give a, a little bit of background on this um, and, what the and what the findings were. So the way I did the test is I actually have, uh, you can see it on my back counter there. I have a Breville Control Freak, which is a sous vide uh, burner, expensive uh, one. But one of the nice features is you can set the temperature you want the pan and it holds that temperature very, very stable. Uh, you know, doesn't swing by more than a couple degrees Fahrenheit. And that was one of the ways I controlled the experiment. Um, you know, the pan was always the same temperature. Uh, I used a cast iron pan. Uh, I brushed 
oil onto the steak rather than pouring oil so that there wasn't a variable amount of oil. I used my calipers to cut my, my, the center of the filet mignons into perfect medallions. Um, you know, so that everything was as controlled as I could make it. They all started at the same temperature. I had them in the fridge for 24 hours before I started. So, you know, there was effort put in the control. Then I did two very simple things. I either cooked a steak where I put it uh, down and I flipped it halfway to done, which I decided was going to be 128 degrees Fahrenheit, nice upper end of medium rare. And then I flipped it over and then I took it off, let it rest all the way to the end until my, my fancy predictive thermometer said it was actually cooling down in the center. Um, and I looked at the time that that took um, and I looked at the distribution of heat in the gradient. The other steak I took out and I flipped it every 30 seconds and until it was done. And then I pulled it off and I, I let it rest and did the same thing. And there was some interesting findings here, um, particularly, and I also did two different sizes. I did one inch thick and two inch thick. For the one inch thick steak, uh, the difference is really, really uh, surprising. It cooks about 30% faster if you flip it every 30 seconds than if you flip halfway through. The crust does look better because when you put uh, the steak down just once, you get little steam pockets. You get a, a spot that never really touches the pan and then you flip it over and there's never a chance to touch again. So the surprising thing is the crust does build up. It's sort of like watching an old school photograph develop. Uh, you know, it's not as instant, but you get to that result. Um, the thing, however, that wasted some steak, if I'm honest, was the more frequently I flipped it, it did cook faster but the amount of temperature rise during resting was way more. Mm. In other words, there's no free lunch. If you get it done faster, the average amount of energy you've been putting in has been higher because you have to get the same amount of energy in to get to done. If you get it in faster, you have, a more, uh, you have, have more energy built up at the surface that has to distribute out as it rests and the temperature rises about 20 degrees Fahrenheit for a one inch steak, which wow. I think is more than anyone would would tell you they'd say oh maybe five or ten degrees no it was like 20 degrees consistently in every experiment huh. uh, the difference was a little less marked for the thicker steak uh, but it still cooks about 20 percent faster it still rises a lot more with carryover cooking during resting so so that was the results so i think what uh, we've uh, the back th that that carryover ahead, cooking number is insane to me so what i'm able to decipher through that is the common thought, as you said, is five, 10 degrees tops. Mm -hmm. What we're really saying is we're only allowing five or 10 degrees tops carryover before we decide to cut in that steak, which once you cut into it, you are now taking, you're able to release a lot more energy and, and it's going to start coming back. It's down. cooling off. You've, yeah. you've created a lot of surface area for yeah. evaporation to cool it off. Yeah. So, so if you flip a steak, well, this was the counterintuitive thing. If you flip the steak, only once. The carryover cooking is only about 10 degrees Fahrenheit for a one inch thick steak. That turns out to be true. Mm. Uh, if you cook it 30% faster, it turns out the carryover cooking is about 20 degrees Fahrenheit. So that was the, if you go home and you try this technique because you don't believe me and you're going to see for yourself, if you, want the if you want the final temperature to be 130 degrees Fahrenheit, you better pull it off and stop the cooking at 110 and let it rest. Or, as you said, it takes about 15 minutes for a steak to fully rest, even at one inch thick, before you know it's cooling down in the center. And now the outside's cooled down a bit, right? Most of us aren't going to wait 15 minutes to eat a steak right off the grill. So you know, I think the reality here is go ahead and pull it 10 degrees early, but you better still pay attention to the temperature and then slice it. Because once you slice it, you've got a ton of surface area. All that hot water inside the juices in the steak start evaporating, cools it off, resting's done. So, you know, this is one of the, 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 the things that will save you at some point. If you forget to pull the steak off the grill, and right now it's at the perfect temperature, 128, but you know if you let it rest, it's going to be ruined, slice it right then. <laughs> slice it hot and let it, you know, and, and stop that in its tracks. Have you ever done testing on juiciness of like resting steaks versus not is that something that we could do another segment on in the future uh you know it's it's funny you mentioned that meathead emailed me not long ago and said you know somebody should do some better research on this yeah and you know i don't think i've ever done well i know i haven't ever done a controlled 
triangle test where somebody's basically slicing the steaks, I'm eating them blind, trying to pick out which one was rested and which one wasn't. I, I think that'd be a great video and and probably something I'll get around to to, to doing here since I'm kind of turning into the 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 myth the buster yeah. of steak cooking. All right. Well, I'm glad somebody's picking that uh, baton back up and running with it. Uh, maybe that's a little forced. Maybe not. Who knows? In the meantime, we're talking with Chris Young, his website, combustion.inc. If you want the really cool predictive thermometer that we've been talking about, uh, go to that website, order it up. Chris, really appreciate the time looking at those experiments. And maybe if you do that juiciness, restiness type experiment, uh, we'll circle back up and have a look at it. Absolutely, Greg. Thank you. All right. There he is. Chris Young, combustion.inc. And put in your orders for that thermometer. It's going to be great. And it should be shipping here, sounds like, within the next month, month and a half. So get yours while you can. Derek Riches is in the green room, ready to go. There he is. He's ready to go. Of course. It's been more than a month since the last we chatted. There's plenty of nonsense to talk about. But first, let's talk about ceramic cookers. What do we love? about ceramic cookers. We love that they're fuel efficient. We love that you can do low and slow. We love that you can do high heat grilling, but we're missing true two-zone cooking capabilities. That's why Primo Grill is changing the game. They have an oval design. The shape gives you the ability to execute a two-zone setup that you desire. Also gives you the other ceramic grill benefits as well that we just talked about. You can cook on it 60 different ways 60. How about that? That's a lot of different ways to cook, only limited by your culinary imagination. Also, they have the accessories because we all love accessories. They have the Primo Grill rotisserie. They have the Primo Grill pizza accessory, half pans, rib racks, half pans. Did I say half pans? Drip pans, half pans? Yes. The bottom line is this, best ceramics in the biz. Yes, patented technology. Yes, true two-zone cooking capabilities. I just said it. Multiple sizes of ovals. If you would like to find out which one is best for you, find a dealer. Primogrill.com. That's Primogrill.com. Find the dealer near you. Check them out in person and then buy the best one for you. And then all the accessories because you're going to want them. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Primogrill.com. We're back with Derek Rich's right after this stick around we'll be right back you're listening to the number two most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere the barbecue central show howard stern jim rome dan patrick and greg rampey the mountain rushmore of talk show entertainment now let's get back to the barbecue central show and we thank Chris Young for joining us last segment from Combustion.inc. This segment brought to you by Fireboard, another predictive thermometer, although this one has wires. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home, you're luck. Fireboard fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting Fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232 and ask all of your best questions it is the fourth tuesday of the month and that means it's time to go to the hotline and welcome in the most respected barbecue journalist in the business a barbecue central show guest hall of famer as i have to remind him each and every month derek riches hey derek hey greg how you doing i am great appreciate you joining me here as we missed last month but now we are back and better than ever to talk about the happenings here in the live fire industry. So it's been on everybody's tip of their tongue, everybody's keyboard that's blogging, everybody's podcast that's podding. Thoughts on the bust of the barbecue slash grilling boom that had been previously going on for the last two years. And the the better question and more long-winded one is, if you can even think back Two years ago, two and a half years ago, as COVID was really setting in, was that April of whatever year that was? Did you think then that there was going to be such a reckless run on barbecue and grilling items in general? 
Um, maybe not to the level that it was. I think that the, the thing that probably shocked me the most was everything that went wrong in the process of that. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's been a running disaster that everybody's been trying to avoid and not talk about in, you know, there's a huge surge in popularity. There's a lot of sales, all the stuff's going on, but you can't get products shipped and there's cargo containers in the Pacific and, you know, prices are shooting through the roof and parts become unavailable and, you know, and then you get IPOs and, you know, I mean, it's like, if you were an investor looking at the industry, you would just think that there's just been a horrible amount of mismanagement and, and, and disaster through all of this you know, from the business side of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, as we look at over the last month, Traeger lays off 14% of its workforce. They stop that Traeger provisions food service line. They yeah. halt the construction of the manufacturing plant there in Mexico. Weber fires their CEO in pretty quick order, I might say. And then they also yeah, lay off 10% of their employees. Bigger surprise that CEO of Weber is let go um i kind of figured he probably had about a year after the ipo anyway um but he this is not going to look good for him i mean your st stock is down what what is it down about 90 percent at this point 80 80 for weber 90 for traeger or something like that um yeah uh i'm not surprised that he's out hmm. i mean He's a professional CEO. I mean, at one point he was head of Bears Women's Supplement Nutritional Supplements Division. You know, I mean, it's like he's bounced from company to company, and and it was time to bounce him back out of there. So they've got to show that they're you know being proactive. And he didn't have a major stake in the company, and he wasn't on the board, so it was easy to take him out. There was also rounds of layoffs at Danson's and some yeah. of the other. Uh, I just heard a Spark Grill uh, went through a round of layoffs or two. I don't know exactly what the number of uh, layoffs were there. Quite honestly, I didn't even realize Spark Grill was even still a thing uh, a couple of years ago after I had had the CEO on. But I guess uh, that compact grill that runs on a proprietary brick is something that was still happening and is still happening, I guess. Yeah, and I'm not sure why, really. I mean, um, I, I wanted to love that thing. It. I really wanted to well, love it. Yeah, no, I couldn't it, love it, it. It seemed it seemed cool. It seemed like yes. this is a really great idea, but you have to buy very overpriced fuel to have it mailed to you, and that's always a you know that's always a disaster. And as far as the dancing numbers, I have two people who've told me the layoff succeeded a hundred. Mm. That would put that at around the 15% yeah. and across the board, all divisions. So, but they got, they got hit by Walmart pretty hard. Um, Walmart ended up with a log jam of stuff and then went through and discounted all, all their products to basically you get no profit from anything we sell for a while. So that hit hard. Outside of the bust of the barbecue and grilling stuff. And you'll be talking about that a little bit more with our mutual friend tomorrow, if you can find you doing whatever it is you're going to be doing there. $30 yeah. a pound or more for cooked brisket at barbecue restaurants. And Cleveland is not getting out of that as well. Mabel's on 4th Street. I was at their location, Michael Simon's restaurant last week. $17 a half pound. Quick math, that's $34 a pound. As I did research yeah. on talking about this particular item with Chuck Blount from the San Antonio Express News, who kind of broke it to me that 30 plus has become the new norm in barbecue restaurants yeah. in Texas. Uh, you know, Franklin's was there, Black's was there, uh, you know, 34 99 35 bucks a pound for crying out loud. Where does the price of finished brisket or cooked brisket at barbecue restaurants become too much? for eaters where do they say no or can they not say no uh it becomes too much when there's not a line out front uh i went to terry black's a couple weeks ago i think it was 35 there um is it worth 35 I, bucks uh, is that beauty in the eye of the beholder 
Sort of. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't make a habit of that. <laughs> you know, I, I don't run it by barbecue very much. So, but you know, every once in a while I stop in and get some stuff and some friends tried to go on a Saturday and the line was two hours long. And I'm like, why are you going on a Saturday? That's dumb. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's what the market will allow. That's just the thing about it. We can complain about it all we want, but until people stop lining up to buy it, the price is just going to keep going up because it can. And that's kind of the big deal with that. Um, it's basic economics, you know? So I don't have a problem a with where the price is per se. What I will wonder is, at what point will the majority of consumers that day for that restaurant, as we're talking in generalities, decide they're going to go for the pulled pork or the ribs or the turkey because three or four pounds of $35 a pound brisket is 130 bucks, And for $35 a pound, I can go buy a Wagyu steak or four yeah. oh, for that yeah. amount and have right. really delightful steak versus really good brisket that is just costing that Susie Bullock was on last week. She went on quite an explanation of why brisket is going to be costing more this and that and the other thing. But remember, this yeah. is the toughest cut on the steer and this was trash food and it was cheap and you know, it was 15 and it was 20 bucks a pound. It's 25 an hour at 35 bucks a pound. And if work wasn't paying for brisket last week, I wouldn't have got brisket. I don't ever see 30, just like I wouldn't wait in a line for four or five hours because yeah. I feel inherently, if somebody asked me about it, I couldn't say, no, it sucked because I would look like a douche. I just wasted four or five hours. I mean, everybody's going to say it's great because they don't want to look like an idiot. Yeah. And, you know, I'm okay. So... Kevin Sandridge and Craig Tambor came in about. A oh, month I heard or so all about ago, it. And we went to Snow's. The love fest. And we got there at like three thirty in the morning. <laughs> we stood in line. You know, we sat in line for like five hours. But I can't believe you did that. That seems so outside of your what you would do. I yeah. I no. Left, left to my own devices. I'm not going to get up at that that morning and drive to Lexington. Yeah. You know, to 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 sit there and wait for barbecue but you're with but, celebrities like kevin and craig right and they want to yeah. do it and if i mean if you came to austin we would go, we could go to snow's and that would be fine because it's not about the food it's about the experience sure. it's about that now some places have that sense of experience people seem to believe that standing in line at franklin's is kind of a rite of passage i have never stood in line at franklin's so, and I never will. Um, and I will go to barbecue joints at times I know that nobody's going to be there or it's not going to be a problem because I, I won't do the stand in line thing, but there has, we have created, and I blame Daniel Vaughn for some of it, this sort of notion that I, the people that were behind us at snows were doing the 50. They were doing the 50 joints and snows was like the eighth place they'd been to. So they still had 42 more barbecue joints to hit. Wow. Um, and that's what it's kind of become. It's become that extensive, that experience. And the second somebody comes along and says, Hey, you know, this place is hot. The line ex explodes, you know, have um, you been to Goldie's? Uh, I have not been to Goldie's. Yeah. All right. Um, that's a four-hour drive from here. Oh, yeah. Fort Worth, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's Fort Worth. Dallas, Fort Worth. And, you know, Fair. I don't like driving that much. And I live in Texas, which is... It's a big stupid. state. Big state. <laughs> Got to do a lot of driving. Derek, full-sized electric grills, for instance. Yeah. Charbroil has one. I believe mm -hmm. I was doing a little reading, and Weber's name was being tossed in a potential of having something. I don't think anything's officially been announced, but I'm hearing rumblings that there might be something. Could full-sized electric grills be the next big thing to hit the market? Yeah, Napoleon has one, too. It's been out yeah, for about a year now. That's right. And Weber's, Weber's will be here. And yes, full-size electric grills are going to be a thing. Why? Um, urbanization. 
because people are living in apartments, they're living in condominiums, there's, you know, the, your different neighborhood organization doesn't want lots of smoke in the backyard or the building you're in doesn't allow live fire. So can I make an argument of holding that really minuscule portion aside, the propane or the charcoal? Yeah. Isn't everything else going to happen with a full size grill smoke splattering? (sighs) searing all this other stuff i mean everything else that happens with the grill outside of the fuel which is now going to be electric how can that just be okay all of a sudden because we the industry does not advertise that and i have actually seen electric grills flare up and catch fire so it's not like it's a safer thing but on paper it looks like it is and so you know when somebody comes along and says, Hey, in our development in these condos or whatever, you can't have gas, you can't have charcoal, you can have electric. Mm. And so that's what gets allowed. And so manufacturers are going to build those products because there's a market for it. Um, and it's, I have, I, I, well, supposedly there's a charbroil unit coming to my house sometime soon, Mm. but, you know, I'm, I've used a number of electric units, and and they all suffer from the same problem, and that is that on the on the U.S. power grid, where we're 110, <clears throat> it's hard to get high heat. In the European market, where they run 220, uh, they can their electric grills are much better, and that's always kind of been the deal. So, you know, for Napoleon, big European market, Weber, big European market, they can throw it out to the U.S. market for condos and apartment dwellers and all that sort of stuff. I don't even know what Charbroil does these days. But, yeah, electric grills, big full-size electric grills are going to be a thing. All right. So you've heard it here first as we are closing out August that full-size electric grills will be a thing, and we'll keep on track with that. Solar-powered pellet grills. There's a thing called the Halo. It's not very big, but it appears to be... Solar powered. Uh, I'm sorry, battery powered. Battery powered. Yeah. Yes. So this is a portable pellet grill. Uh, it's not shipping yet. Um, I've talked with the guy behind that. Um, it's a, You have a rechargeable power pack, and you can get a second one. And, well, th- you know, uh, the, the problem with a portable pellet grill is you got to plug it in. So if you want to take your portable grill to the park and you don't have not going to have an outlet, you can't take that. So this is a solution to that problem. Well, you can take your Green Mountain Grill Trek and a car battery with the clips, stick it on there, and, and you're powered. Yeah. No problem. We, right. Half the population doesn't know their car has a battery. <laughs> so don't, you know, I mean, yeah, there's always an option. And, and I've seen people who have like rigged up solar panels with a battery charging station that they can plug their pellet grill into so they don't have to plug it into a wall outlet and all that yeah, sort of Yeah, there stuff. was but, that thing in uh, Utah called Lion Energy. They had right. like portable sun power. You just set up a makeshift. Well, it's not makeshift. You buy a panel and you stick it in the charger thing, Stick your uh, plug your pellet yeah. cooker into that, and away you go. Yeah, so I mean, I don't, you know... Um, I don't know how big really the portable pellet grill market is. I've always kind of thought that was like, eh, I'd go a different way if it were me because it's portable and I don't want to carry a lot of heavy stuff and Mm. I'm not going to be using a portable grill for a lot of smoking or a lot of long-term cooking. And, you know, you can pick up a smoky Joe for like 25 bucks and it'll do a better job. So, but you know, Last question market for everything. before I yeah. let you go this evening. This ties in with the Green Mountain Grill stuff. Ripped Grills, R-I-P-T. And for those that aren't aware, it's been showing more and more on social media. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like officially, but it is official. I think you can put a pre-order or, or a hold yeah. for 99 bucks or whatever it is. So we have Green Mountain Grills, what I call the pivot product. Depending on what happens with this presidential review between Traeger, Green Mountain Grills. If it Green, happens. It'll happen. Green Mountain Grill could, <laughs> yeah, know, but could been... shut down, I guess, depending yeah. on how Traeger would like to exercise, depending on what the ruling is. 
And then they would be able to pivot over to Ripped fully. Or mm-hmm. maybe there's some agreement, the Traeger Green Mountain Grill Workout, Green Mountain Grill stands alone, and now they also have this additional product line, completely separate, operating independently, called Ripped Grills. That's wood chips. Yeah. Um, I'm interested. Yeah? Because, one... I am, there, there was actually a study out just recently, uh, and I barely saw it before we came on, uh, University of Illinois or something like this, like literally 20% of the content of tested wood pellets wasn't wood. It oh, was paper yeah. Product, yeah. 20% it of it is uh, impurities, it's something like that. The impurities and stuff like that. Um, I don't, my opinion is, and, and, and there's going to be people who are going to send me hate mail for this. I don't think wood pellets produce a great, a great deal of flavor. Wood chips, however, are actual wood and they have more of the composition to produce, I think, a better smoke flavor. Mm. So a wood chip grill could theoretically be an improvement over a standard pellet grill. I just want to know how you're getting the wood chips into burn in a way that has a consistency and isn't going to jam up because, you know, wood chips are not as uniform in shape and size and density. They're a much different beast than wood pellets, which are, you know, very universal. So if it works, it it could be a thing. Mm. I mean, that's what I'm waiting to find out is what the results of this are. But you're right. It is, it's a backup plan. It's what keeps Green Mountain Grills alive should Traeger decide to just put extreme measures on them if they get the presidential review the way they're going and if traeger still under the same management by then well we'll keep an eye out for that we'll also keep an eye out for ripped grills and we're talking with derek riches you can read what he's up to derekriches.com of course buy his books because he has a bunch of books out as well and you will find him here on the show Every month on the fourth Tuesday, Derek, always appreciate the time, and we'll see you in September. All right. See you then. All right. Derek Rich is right there. Again, DerekRiches.com is his website, and you can read everything that he is writing right over there. Visit it early. Visit it often. Interesting about ripped grills. If you're not seeing it right now, yes, that is manufactured by the folks that are doing Green Mountain Grills for now. But again, as I say, it's the pivot product, if you will. Week 8 is in the beginning stretches. That's right. Hey, guess who's down 14 pounds? Guess who is now in Week 8 starting a program put together by David McDowell, my health and wellness coach, To start packing on muscularity weight. Yes, we're revamping the diet. We're eating more of stuff, certain things specifically that I like. And we're also going to be adding specific weightlifting regimens in now. So we've leaned out. Now we're going to try and add the muscle on. This is a great experiment for me. And I get access to a guy who knows what he's doing. He tells me, or suggest how I should eat. Again, I'm somebody that doesn't need a lot of variety. I can literally eat chicken, rice, salad, oatmeal every day because I just know that's what I'm going to have. That makes me happy. That might not make you happy, so you can work with David to set your plan and then join me as we start to lean out and now try and pack some of it back on in a good muscular sense. How do you do it? DavidLeans.com slash BBQ and you sign up. DavidLeans.com slash BBQ. Get access to them pretty much 24-7. Emails, text messages, phone calls, all that good stuff. DavidLeans.com slash BBQ. And we'll be right back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. Be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content. In an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. We thank Derek Riches for joining us last segment. 
DerekRiches.com, his website. This portion of the show brought to you by Pit Barrel Cooker, most unbelievable outdoor cooking device on the planet, currently available in three sizes and a host of accessories to complete your Pit Barrel cooking experience. Doesn't matter if you're a beginner or if you're a professional, it's a cooker you want to add to the arsenal. Visit pitbarrelcooker.com and tell them the Barbecue Central Show sent you. So, if you're just tuning in, you missed Derek Riches talking about the bust of the barbecue and grilling industry. We didn't get too far into that, but we covered some of the high-end topics. Also, electric full-size grills will be a thing sooner than later, so keep your eyes out. Charbroil has one. Weber's is coming out. And Napoleon has one out in Canada. So look for those. Talked about why those will be different here than outside of this country because of the power. And then, of course, we talked about ripped grill, the wood chip grill that will be potentially replacing the wood pellet Green Mountain Grill. So we'll see how that all shakes out. We're pointing to the second hour where the embedded correspondents will be joining me at some point. So stick around. We'll be right back.